This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Narratives about the founding of the American West often leave out the people who were actually there, like the Black pioneer families who established the Dry, a homestead in Southern Colorado. This Black History Month, we're revisiting our conversation with Dexter Nelson II, History Colorado's Associate Curator of African American History and Cultural Heritage. Nelson explains how the story of the Dry was almost lost forever and the work he's done to preserve and elevate these stories of Black Coloradans. Today is Monday, February 6th, 2023. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Dexter Nelson II, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me today. Pleasure to be here. How did you initially encounter this story of the dry? Well, when I first got here um, for this project of the the History Colorado app, I just started doing lots of research and trying to figure out things I didn't know. And of course, Deerfield popped up uh, pretty early on my radar. Um, but in Deerfield's time period is about 1910 to the 1940s. So then when I heard about the dry, I was like, well, that's really interesting. You know, how come one is so prominently, you know, talked about and the other one isn't? And then kind of digging more into it, um, then I met Alice McDonald, who's currently um, one of the last living local residents of the Dry. She's really the, uh, the, the gatekeeper of the story, and she's been doing an excellent job of preserving it. Uh, so we'll just start off by um, uh, talking about your, your names, uh, saying and spelling your first and last name. So if you'd like to go first. I'm Alice McDonald. And she just really opened up her, her heart and her home and said like, hey, you know, here's my family's story. Here's what we did. A-L-I-C-E. You know, here's what was done. M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D. It's just, there's been so much time. And since the Dust Bowl, the Great Depression, there's been a few instances of vandalism to where right now the dry, if you go there, it's, it's not that impressive, right? It's just a lot of like <laughs> flat land. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, it used to be a thriving you know, thriving community that, you know, at time had, you know, a couple hundred families there. You know, it's not Deerfield. It's not Lincoln Hills and Gilpin County. It's the dry. It's its own separate story that needs to be told about black farmers in Southern Colorado. It really starts with, um, with two black women, um, Josephine and Lenora Rucker. They're two sisters. Um, some of the details are a little murky because um, they're lost to history, but essentially these two sisters and George W. Swink uh, went into this business venture. Um, George Swink, he was the first mayor of Rocky Ford. Um, he did a lot with politics, obviously being mayor. Um, he also did a lot in the um, field of irrigation. And so that was one of the, you know, the kind of deals they, they made where George Swink would work to get more irrigation 
to this um, dry area of Manzanola, you know, which would later become the dry. Um, and then Josephine and Lenora went out to actually recruit people. And so they went around the country and uh, talked to people and visited with people and encouraged uh, the blacks to move to Colorado on, under the Homestead Act. And they, they went as far as, you know, Kansas and Oklahoma trying to um, get people excited to come to Colorado. And uh, her, my mother's mother was a teacher. And she was at a meeting and they were there talking to the people. Told them about Colorado, so they decided they would come. You have to, you know, think about the pers their perspective, how these were African-Americans, you know, shortly after the Civil War here in American history, and trying to find opportunity, trying to find advancement, right? Trying to get their piece of the American dream. And that's where we see this opportunity to have land, right? Because we know you have to have land, you know, land equals power, right? And so you have, you know, this almost second migration of African-Americans following the Rucker sisters to come to Colorado in hopes of homesteading, having their own land, improving it, and then having that be their own. And so they went along in their wagon pulled by their horses until they went over a rise and they stopped and looked and my mother said you could see for a hundred miles nothing but flat prairie no trees cactus and as they looked around not even any wildlife they didn't see a rabbit or a bird I remember mother saying when they arrived here at Mansonola way her father saw a man at the Highline Ditch and he was dipping water and putting it into barrels on his wagon. And so he asked him how to get to the dry. And the man looked at him and he said, you know, mister, he said, you don't want to come here. You don't want to stay here. I don't think it was as uh, lush as they thought it was going to be. Um, again, that's the name. It's very dry, dry, flat land. And she said she actually cried because it just was not what she had thought they would find at all. But to me, that really speaks to the tenacity of these farmers. Because instead of just looking at the land and saying, oh, it's dry, we were lied to and then leaving, right? They stuck it out. They said, well, let's let's still try to farm here, right? Let's let's do dry land farming. Let's Let's raise cattle. And I think that that was probably the feeling that so many of the homesteaders had, but they were here and they decided, well, we'll make the best of it. Remind me again, who is Alice? Yeah, so Alice, um, she is the, the daughter of uh, Roland and Harvey, Harvey Craig Sr. Um, and yeah, she, she grew up in the dry. This is, this is what we love to see in the museum field, right? Like a primary source, not someone who's saying, oh, I heard this story and this, but she, she lived it. And so um, in One Oral History, uh, is actually the one that I conducted with Alice. You know, she talks about having to go and, and fetch water for the, for the cows or for, you know, for everything you need water for. Whereas her, you know, her children, they have, you know, memories of going there and, and playing or making fly swatters and, you know, you know, whimsical kid things where she's like, no, like I was hauling buckets of water. <laughs> and so it's just like a... Survi she was surviving, yeah. Exactly. So it's a, just a very different experience. And the fact that it's so well hidden, even though, you know, a few different organizations have done efforts to try to, you know, retell this story. But it's like the end of the day, 
we say, hey, go go talk to Alice because <laughs> it's Alice's story, you know? <laughs> it's great. I want to ask about racism in the drive. There was Ku Klux Klan in this area, and of course Colorado has always been full of, of the Klan members. Mm -hmm. they, they had a, a Klan group here. Uh, one night my father had gone into town and was coming home and his little old car broke down. And so he knew all the farmers in the valley, so he thought, well, I'll stop and I'll walk over here to, and see if someone will help me. Well, when he got to a couple of houses, there was no one at home. So he said, well, I'll just leave it there and I'll walk home and uh, I'll come back in the morning and get the car. So he started walking home and as he walked he could see a glow in the sky and he thought that's odd and it wasn't the moon but he kept on walking and when he uh, reached a, a, a distance there um, he saw these, a, a group of men on horseback and in their robes and their hoods. And so one of the fellows rode up to him and he said, Harv, is that you? And Dad said, yeah. And he said, what's the matter? And he said, oh, my car broke down. And he said, I went to a couple of you fellows' houses. There was nobody at home. And he said, oh, we're out here having a little meeting. Where's your car? And he said, it's down by so-and-so's house. And he said, well, he said, I can't help you right now because we're having this meeting. But he said, go ahead on home. And he said, don't just stay. And tomorrow I'll come and pick you up and bring you down and we'll fix your car and get you going again. So it, it was a good relationship. They were all working and, and trying to, uh, to survive. And racism was not a problem at all. And, and again, that just speaks to, I think, to the hardships of, of just the times back then of a farming community because they, they need each other. You know, it wasn't so much black or white. It was who can help us reach this goal. And so that's, that's just, again, another you know, optimistic picture that we want to highlight, too, as part of this whole, this whole narrative. So already, right, it's flipping two things on its head. <laughs> it's flipping the idea that African-Americans weren't in Colorado or haven't done significant things in Colorado. And second, we have a story of Klansmen helping a black farmer <laughs> in you know, the early 1900s. So things like that, that it's just really, it's a really unique story. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. And this gentleman that they worked with, Swink, he's a, he's a white guy, right? <laughs> yes, yes, he is a white man. Um, yeah, and so it's it's interesting, you know. There's some stories about 
you know, th there there was some irrigation in the dry at one point in time, enough so that people could do, you know, more normalized farming. But then, uh, you know, dried up the Dust Bowl. Um, so, you know, obviously there's a lack of communication there and um, no irrigation uh, was ever put in. So it seems like um, that part of the deal never came to fruition. So after the people came and they settled, why they worked along with Swink and they put in an irrigation system uh, on the Pishapob at the headwaters. And with their horses and their teams and their shovels and by hand, they put in canals and built a dam. And, and that was probably in 1923 that they finished this dam. And and there there were some there's some stories of some irrigation like I won't say that you know it never had water right there's been some oral histories of people watching the wheat field you know being flooded and, and being irrigated um, but also um, you know dams breaking and then them not being repaired um, just drought in general just lack of rain things like that that made it really difficult so the fact that you know some of these families were there for you know. 10, 20, 30 years even is really quite remarkable. It's a great example of just black excellence where they saw the challenge and then they decided to step up to that challenge. That was the uh, shortcoming of homesteading out there. They didn't, there wasn't enough water. They did have an irrigation system, old man swing from uh, Rocky Ford. He built five lakes out on that area and was going to run, did run the water from the Pishapar River west there going toward Walsenburg, run water down across that prairie. They had a big dam up there on the Pishapar River and I've actually seen the water run in the ditches down across the prairie. But that wasn't enough. Nobody wasn't able to make a living at that. So that went under, and the people moved away to get jobs to make a living. Yeah, um, it, it definitely doesn't exist anymore. Um, it was around the 1930s, 1940s. Um, people just had enough with lack of irrigation, um, the drought, the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl. You know, times were very, very hard there. Um, and again, you know, because I think because of the environment, you know, there weren't a whole lot of houses built out of lumber. It's more of the dugouts. I think because there's just a lack of resources. That's why there aren't any permanent structures there as opposed to Deerfield where we have, you know, two, three buildings that are intact. You can tell what they used to be, whereas the dry, nothing survived. So what would you say to someone who looks out at that barren, empty land in Southeast Colorado and calls the dry a, a failure? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> uh, I guess it means, you know, what, what makes something a failure or not? Um, they, they, people came here, they tried to make the land better, right? They tried to improve it, but just because of extenuating factors outside of their control, they weren't able to do that. So I think calling it a failure is a little too harsh, <laughs> but at the same time, and we see this as evident in Alice, that 
The drive produced <laughs> intelligent, <laughs> resilient, smart individuals. And so in that sense, you know, I, it's definitely not a failure because it's still relevant to talk about and it's still relevant to show um, the ingenuity of, of these, these individuals. love that Dexter because I grew up here I didn't know about Deerfield till I was older um, but I have a one-year-old son who's gonna learn Colorado history and his experience will always include the dry will always be part of that like it will he will never not know the story of homesteading in Colorado in particular that includes all of these different kinds of stories and I just wonder what is what is a story like the dry mean to you as someone that's that studies this yeah i mean it it means everything because too often for you know because of white supremacy the the stories of the black experience have either just been completely like discredited or erased and so even even out here you know we talk about early black pioneers and fur trappers and people are like what like you guys are out here then? And it's like, yeah, like <laughs> right. we've, we've been here for a long time and we've been doing really big, important things such as the farming community of Deerfield, of the dry, where like we've actually been, you know, <laughs> working the land and, and, and doing things, you know? So it's important to really carry that and to keep reminding people that like, no, like we were out here farming too. Like it, it's not a new thing that black people are in Colorado, <laughs> you know? And so, so, so that's been really important to just show the, the full spectrum of the black experience here in the West. I think that's so important too, because we have this longtime narrative of this picture of the West. And so mm-hmm. often it excludes black folks, homesteaders, cowboys, like you said, fur trappers. You know what I mean? The Black folks were part of this story all along. And it's for so long been sort of cut out of the picture. But now we get to put that picture back in and say, this is the full picture. This is yeah. color. You know what I mean? This is the West. I mean, I know, I I don't know if folks can tell from your accent, but you're <laughs> not from Colorado, <laughs> but you're not, from no. Oklahoma, which <laughs> is right. has a similar story, I think, when folks think about Oklahoma. And it's just really cool that you get to create a new version of history that's more reflective of what actually happened. Well, no, thank you all so much for your time for this. This is... This has been great. I mean, I feel like everyone in this room really, really understands and values the importance of preserving and promoting just our history. So I just thank you all for, for your time and for coming up here. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're pleased that you're interested and concerned and, and doing some valuable work. So, yeah, no, this is definitely one of the stories that, you know, one of the ones I want to shout from the, from the rooftop is trying to find the best way to do that is to make sure that, you know, it's, it's lasting, it's intentional. Well, Dexter Nelson II, thank you so much for sharing this story. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Find more amazing stories and history and people like Alice McDonald on the Black History Trail in the new History Colorado app. It's out now, and you can download it wherever you get your mobile apps. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. The pandemic. Starting in April, more than 300,000 Coloradans will lose Medicaid coverage as the federal government's COVID-19 response comes to an end. 
The Denver Post reports that the change also comes as the government is running low on free COVID tests and no money has been set aside to buy more. And on another bummer note, vaccines will no longer be free and people without insurance could pay upwards of $100 per shot. Oof. And now, a moment of joy to start off your week. The Denver Zoo has welcomed a new baby sloth. Nine News reports that two-toed sloth parents, Charlotte and Elliot, welcome their yet-to-be-named baby on January 26th. We'll drop a link in the show notes so you can see the super cute video of Denver's newest sloth baby just out here thriving. Oh, and one last thing. CityCast Denver is hiring. Do you or someone you know have experience in sales and revenue? Are you deeply connected to the community? We're looking for a senior account executive here in Denver to join our team ASAP to work on selling sponsorships of our podcast and newsletter. Check the show notes for this episode for a full job description. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Denver's newest two-toed sloth about us. Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya. I'm really channeling Paul with my hair today. <laughs> Just sticking straight out. <laughs> <laughs>